Let's go. Welcome to the Loans on Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We, we, we give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans on Demand podcast. I hope you're ready for the Loans on Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today I'm super excited because we're talking about a topic that is, is very near and dear to me, um, and that is financial planning or not financial planning so, so much, but you know, building wealth. Um, and I think so many of us you know, as loan officers kind of get stuck in the rat race of like constantly going grinding, you know, building businesses and doing all this stuff to generate income, but we don't know what to do with the money after we get it, right? And lots of times people spend it, uh, and then the next thing, you know, you know, you're you're broke because you spent all the money you made. Um, and so today, I'm super excited to have Mark Willis on. Mark Willis is a man on a mission to help you think differently about your money, your economy, and your future. After graduating with six figures of student loan debt and discovering a way to turn his debt into real wealth, as he watched everybody lose their retirement savings and home equity in 2008, he knew that he needed to find a more predictable way to meet his financial objectives and those of his clients. So Mark is a certified financial planner, three-time number one best-selling author, the owner of Lake Growth Financial, and a whole other slew of things here. Uh, and I'll just let uh, Mark introduce himself here. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. Talk to hey, my, my pleasure, Luke. Yeah, great to be on your show. Awesome, man. Tell me a little bit about uh, yourself, uh, you know, from a, from a less scripted version and, and kind of give us a little bit yeah. about your background and your story, man. You bet. Yeah, the... 2008 was sort of the like getting dropped into the front lines of a war for me. Uh, we happened to graduate from college uh, in that same year. Our degrees did not exactly lend us to uh, great careers. And it's not like a lot of people were hiring at that point anyway. Mm-hmm. And as our student loan payments became due on a monthly basis, I began to realize I had actually married two women in college, my beautiful wife and Sally May, uh, who was long for the ride, whether we liked it or not. So she demanded a monthly payment from us, uh, like blood from a turnip, because we didn't have a lot of cash. So we were out there running uh, full steam ahead, multiple side jobs, multiple extra businesses, whatever we could do to make it make ends meet. And to try to pay down that monster of $120,000 of student loan debt, uh, which within today's inflation would be closer to 250 grand, again, Jeez. without a big you know lawyer degree underneath us or anything like that. So I would say the first and foremost, I learned a lesson in that in that story before I got into finance, because you know I didn't graduate with a financial degree. I didn't exactly um, see money even as important. Uh, sure. But what I learned was, in you know, I, I worked some waiter jobs and ser- you know serving tables and stuff at these nice uh, Italian restaurants, and I, I got to know the the um, the personalities of money, and that caught my attention. There were some people who were working at that restaurant for their family and they would save every penny they made in tips and whatever else. And then there was another slew of people who earned what they made on Friday and spent it before the end of Saturday uh, at the club. And it reminded me like the old phrase, um, um, you know, the, the, the poor and the rich have a different philosophy of, of money. And I mean, sure. poor and rich in our mentality as much as our net worth statement. Right. So the, sure. it's a Gloria Steinem quote. And she says the rich plan for three generations and the poor plan for Saturday night. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because all I was doing while I was paying off my student loans and that's fine. And that's great. And that's noble, whatever. 
I was planning for Saturday night with my money, just the same as those guys going to the club every weekend, uh, because every dollar I spent on my student loan payment was a dollar I would never see again, and neither would my kids or grandkids. Every dollar I spent on my student loans was gone forever, but also gone, Luke, was all of what that money would have earned for me had I left it invested or done something else with that money instead. So I began to realize, and it was sort of like one of those shaking your knees kind of moments, like here I am at that time in my mid-20s, and I'm throwing away the most valuable dollars I'll ever see ever again. The most powerful dollar is the one you already have in your pocket, no matter what your age. And so my problem was I was thinking about things the way we were taught to think about them. And in fact, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking because I was simply parroting in my mind what I had been taught from you know our, our school teachers and whatever else, uh, the limited amount of financial knowledge I received. So that's sort of where things began for me and where things began to change as well. Awesome, man. And I, I love that story. And obviously, you know, it didn't start super easy, but, but tell us a little bit about kind of like what it took to get from, you know, where you were then, right? Six figures in debt to, to now running a successful business, uh, writing a couple, you know, number one bestsellers, things like that. Like the, the journey wasn't always easy, I'm sure. Right. Well, it, it took some humility and the willingness to believe I was, you know, in fact, wrong. Uh, and there's a... Uh, a gentleman, his name is Nelson Nash, and he says that the biggest, the most sinister virus uh, in the human psyche is the arrival syndrome. This idea that we have arrived, that we know everything, that we've got our corner on truth figured out, that we've got our business and our life and our marriage and our health, it's all figured out. We're good. We're golden. Uh, and anything new is going to be a threat. And that to me was sort of defined my life for a certain period of time. Unfortunately, I was struck with that virus, um, struck with that syndrome of the arrival syndrome. And I had to have a, a good friend and colleague and mentor of mine come sit in, our, sit in our living room and look at me straight in the eye and say, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? Now, for those that don't know, Dave Ramsey's like a big radio guru, financial dude. And that really like hit me like like square between the eyes. He was calling me out, right? Because I believed that Dave Ramsey essentially wrote the the fifth gospel. He had brought, you know, Financial Peace University down from the mountain, basically. And my, <laughs> my wife and I had lived on this kind of Dave Ramsey, um, you know, uh, pap for, for a long time. Now, Dave Ramsey has done a great good for a lot of people. I'm not going to say he hasn't. And he got right. us focused on our budget, which I'll be always thankful for that. But um, as it turns out, he does not have a corner on truth. And I had to learn that I still had much to learn. That's a key principle right there. You can learn that you have still much to learn in your financial yeah. life. And that's sort of where the turn began to happen. When I began to think critically about where I was receiving information, including Mr. Ramsey, uh, and I began to think, all right, well, what else do I need to learn? What else can I grow in? Uh, and thank goodness I'm not dead yet. So I better keep growing, better keep learning. And I love that. And, and I think, you know, what's funny is that this audience is, is, is pretty hyper aware of Dave Ramsey because of, you know, obviously some of yeah. his uh, interesting uh, positions on things like the mortgage industry, right? Like 15 year mortgage, 20% down. But the reality is like, if I would have waited, you know, I bought my house in 2015 uh, for 390,000, it's worth about 730, 740,000 now. So if I would have waited until I had 20% down and could afford a 15 year mortgage, 
I would probably still be waiting, right? And so what's that? This is an opportunity cost of $350,000 in equity. There you go, like, yeah. Like how, how does that make any sense, right? And the other thing to think about is when you buy it, get a mortgage, especially even at the rates we're at today, which has gone up considerably over the last few months or, or, or year or over the last year, right? I mean, when I refinanced, it was 2.75. Now I think the average is somewhere in the mid fours, if not even up till, to 5%. But the truth is, I mean, if, if our inflation is technically seven or 8%. That's what the Fed is trying to tell us, which I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I believe it's probably higher than that. Technically, you're, you're hedging your money against inflation and you're actually paying less money by taking a 30-year mortgage at 4% than if you were to pay you know, 15-year mortgage, you would actually save less, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't, you t- yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, man. You probably well, what know you're have doing, a better grip on that. What you're doing is you're thinking creatively about equity and about money and you understand the concept of opportunity cost. I think more people should follow Luke's podcast and learn more about cool, awesome uh, strategies like that. Because again, you know, when you, when you just do what everyone else tells you to do, um, what's that old phrase? Uh, if you, um, if you follow the herd, you're going to get slaughtered. Right. Right. About that. So, you know, thinking critically about your money and saying, all right, it's all one wallet. It's all one wallet. Um, you know, you can begin to see that, Hey, just because I have a slightly higher mortgage or I'm going to put 20% down or 5% down or 3% down, just following someone's advice is going to get, get you in trouble. Uh, no one should be your money guru, not Dave Ramsey, not me, not anybody. You right. should be your own money guru. Uh, and you know, I think part of what caught me by surprise is as I went through my certified financial planning designations and training, and it took us years to go through that, uh, I was dumbfounded by this simple question that kept ringing in my head. And I think anybody could take some some of this and, and use it for yourself. And that is, hey, you know, whether you're uh, working with a bank branch, whether you're running your own business as a loan officer, ask yourself this simple question, what do I want my money to do for me? If you're the boss of your money, what sort of functions, what sort of characteristics, what sort of attributes is your money doing for you? Because where you put your money makes it do different things. You know, you could have, Luke, put that money into a 401k versus, you know, a house down payment versus and continue to rent forever, right? But you chose, right. a, a, you made a choice and where your money went made it act different. It's got different tax situations. It's got different guarantees and probabilities and risk tolerance. And, and uh, the list goes on and on, protection around uh, lawsuits. And so part of what I began to do, uh, and I recommend anybody do, is maybe grab a sheet of paper or something, pull the car over and start thinking about, hey, you know, if, if I could just be Pope of money for the day, what would I want my money doing for me if it was totally up to me? What sort of like, I'd want a solid rate of return. That's one thing I hear quite often. Uh, I want access to my money. I need access to my money, both for my personal life and my business and my professional life. Uh, I, I mean, you could help me out here, Luke, if you want to. What are some other things that you'd want money doing? If you could just kind of create the unicorn, the perfect financial instrument, what sort of things would you want it to have? Yeah, I mean, I have three uh, kids. I mean, I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and uh, just barely about to turn one in, in a little bit. And so one of my things is like, you know, obviously putting money away for them, for college, for 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 them to be able to invest, to start a business if they want to when they turn 18, you know, things like that. Yeah. Just um, again, I mean, thinking kind of more and, and honestly, you know, kind of going back to your statement around, you know, the, the rich thinking three generations ahead. Like, yeah, I mean, one of my big things is, is leaving a legacy, but to think three generations, I, I mean, I'm thinking about my kids, right? But like, you yeah. know, think bigger, like, you know, how, how can we actually serve the next three or four or five or 10 generations? How can we love that, leave that big of an impact, man? That's a, that's a big, big, big question. <laughs> I think too many investment advisors, and that's different than financial planner, by the way, investment sure. brokers 
uh, are thinking about Saturday night's returns, whereas we probably should get more people from the forestry industry to come do your finances for you. Why forestry? Because they're thinking 70 years at least into the future, and they know that the harvest won't come for 70 years. That's thinking long range. Whereas most investment brokers are thinking about this weekend's haircut, um, not so much, you know, 70 years into the future. So good on you, man, Luke, for thinking about three, you know, your, your three kids and their college. And I, I'd like to go, go just nuts here with our blue sky thinking. Let's not just make this possible for your kids' education, but let's make sure it's invisible to all the financial aid offices out there when it's time to send your Uh, kids to college, let's make sure that nobody else can see that you've got a bajillion dollars sitting on your asset uh, Mm -hmm. balance sheet. Why? Because the more you have tied up in, you know, checking accounts, savings account, whatever, you know, brokerage accounts, home value that gets counted against you when it comes time to applying for scholarships. So if you and me are, you know, fighting for a scholarship at the college and you've got all your money hidden in some sort of asset and all my stuff's in a college savings account. Thank you, Dave Ramsey, for the 529 plans and all that. Um, if all my money's exposed on that radar screen, guess who's getting the scholarship? Is it going to be me with all my, hey, look at me, I've got college money over here, or you who has 10 times as much wealth, let's say, but you've got it hidden. You've got it protected off the mm-hmm. radar of those financial aid offices. So that's one thing that would be really cool. Uh, let's make sure that there's some guarantees that that money's going to grow every single year. I'm going nuts here, right? So like, let's just say it's got a good rate of return, guaranteed to grow for me. I always have access to the money. It's totally tax-free. It's totally protected from lawsuits. I mean, is this thing legal? I don't know. We're just blue sky thinking right now. But this is where I, I, I I start here because if folks just hear the words 401k or checking account or real estate investing, we all have these biases that say, well, hey, annuity bad or you know, savings account bad, or whatever it is, we all have an opinion about what we've been told, right? We've all been taught that a house is a good investment, quote unquote. But starting first with, well, what do we want our money doing for us? And that's the thought exercise. If you take nothing else away from the episode, start with that. Just you know, put away the bias and think about what do you want that money doing for you? Partly for me and my wife, it was, it was that discussion that we had um, that really got us down the journey toward discovering strategies like bank on yourself. Man, and, and that's awesome. I, th- I think that's a, a fantastic uh, segue, obviously, in- into that topic of bank on yourself. Um, but it's just an interesting, uh, it's an interesting, um, I, I don't know, it's just interesting because I think so many times people go through life, and, and even for myself, it's just like thinking about even my business, right? Like for, for a few years there, like I was somewhat building what I thought was. What, what I was supposed to be building. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, kind of goes back to the same concept of, you know, like just, just get down, have clarity around what you want, right? Both out of money, out of life, out of your business, out of all of these different things, man. I think that that important concept just doesn't just apply to money. It applies to everything in life, right? Like mm-hmm. what do you actually want? Or are you, or are you building a life that someone else told you you wanted, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you want a bajillion yep. dollars or do you just want to be able to like, you know, retire comfortably. Do you, you know, and, and the other thing I wanted to kind of go back to real quick, uh, just, just to touch on that again, you, you talk about a good rate of return um, in, in this, in this crazy kind of crypto market that we've seen, you know, obviously we've kind of in a, in a, now a, a downward trend. Um, but, you know, last year, everybody was talking about crypto and how much money they were making and these crazy returns and all this kind of stuff. While that's great and all, like then I, you know, I also saw a lot of people lose a lot of money right. during that time, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So, you know, what, 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 before we kind of get into that bank on yourself, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what are you kind of looking for in terms of, 
of what's a good rate of return? Are we looking to beat inflation? What, what's kind of the, the thought there? Well, Luke, there's an interesting story there. You know, So who really made the money in the crypto space last year specifically? Uh, you look at the whole of the year and yeah, Bitcoin others made some great gains last year, but it all happened in the first 90 days of the year last year. If you bought crypto in the first 90 days of the year, you are probably still up. But for most people listening who bought last year, that would have been a loss year for them. Right. Uh, and that's not talked about on the news cycles, you know, uh, especially sure. CNBC. They just pound the table on crypto like, um, well, I guess their sponsors tell you why. Uh, you know, if you, uh, so, you know, you can, it's very difficult to convince somebody of something when their salary is dependent on them not being convinced. Right. And when, when you're being told to promote a certain thing like crypto or whatever, you're going to promote it on your CNBC shows and pound the table on it. So, you know, I'd, I'd say that, that investments are actually a fairly interesting conversation for a lot of my clients. They all come to me and many of them wonder, well, where's a good place for my money to go where it can grow productively, beating inflation. Uh, and we've been told, again, we've been told by most uh, financial professionals that the stock market averages uh, 7% a year, let's say, after fees, et cetera, over the last 100 years. And that is true. But nobody, and I'm saying uh, kind of an extreme sentence here, but nobody gets the average. That's why our podcast is called Not Your Average Financial Podcast, because nobody gets an average. And Luke, I'll give you a quick example of this. Let's say that you came to me and you wanted me to invest your money. Let's say you had 10 grand you were willing to give me, and I invest your money in some kind of magical vehicle, and it doubles. You get 100% rate of return. So your 10 grand doubled to 20,000 bucks in the first year. You're feeling great. You're loving life. So you keep that money with me. And in year two, whoops, I lost half your money. 20,000 comes back down to 10,000. And that's a negative 50% rate of return. So far, so good? Yep. Making sense? So how did I do for you? You gave me 10 grand. Two years later, I gave you back 10 grand. How am I doing? Did, what kind of rate of return is that, right? That's a 0% return. But would it even would be you, zero though, or would it be the fees and all that kind of stuff as well? Well, right? fees, yeah. Let's say, let's just ignore all that for a minute. You're right, okay, exactly cool. right. Yeah, plus inflation, plus. But let's just set all that aside. You gave me ten. Two years later, I gave you back ten thousand. That's a zero percent rate of return. However, I got you up to twenty and back down to ten. One hundred percent minus fifty percent divided by two years. I can legally tell folks that I got you a twenty-five percent average rate of return. 25% average rate of return, and you're no wealthier off for it. This what? is, yeah, this is how it works in the financial services world. This, this is what my, uh, this is one of my, um, one of my mentors used to always say this all day. He's like, this is guru math, right? Like when, when, guru uh, math, when, yeah. when, when, you know, when, when these agencies are like, oh, this person doing a seven figures, like they had one seven figure run rate month, right? They had a run rate, right? They, they hit, they hit 83,000 one month and now they're a seven figure business. No, that's not right. how that works, guys. It's not, right. that's guru math, right? So it's, you know, that's it's right. Yeah. Thing, right? Well, it's like, it's like the old phrase, uh, why is it always, why is the grass always greener on the other side? Cause it's full of bullshit. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because it's not you know <laughs> greener grass only happens when you water it. That's that's for right. another conversation. Right. So right. Um, pay attention to your own yard. That's the 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 moral of that story. But bottom line is most investment advisors uh, are going to promote their book and tell you that they've got this wonderful rate of return, and then they chase you down for it, and then they get you in there, and then they they jump you up and down, charge you the fees for that. Who got paid in that scenario, Luke? In your example, you gave me ten. I gave you back ten. Who's the one that got paid? The investment advisor did with his fees. Right. Those were the only right. guarantees in that pro in that probability there. So enough on that. I'm off my soapbox. 
Yeah, no worries, man. Let's uh, let's let's jump into the bank on yourself. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about that. I know that's kind of a concept that you've uh, uh, trademarked or, or something that, that you've kind of come up with yourself. So tell us a little bit about that, and then we can kind of dig into it a little bit more. Well, sure. And and I'll just say the average return of real investors over the last thirty years is three point six percent in the market. Wow. So three point six is the average is the real return of the average equity stock fund investor over the last 30 years. That's according to Dalbar. That's a third party uh, you know, a research firm, D-A-L-B-A-R, look it up. Um, but that shocks people when they hear that their 401k, even though their statement might say this, 10, 12%, their real return is closer to three and a half, four 4%. So enough on that. Uh, so look we, that uh, up. Basically what you're saying is most people are actually losing money to inflation. That's right. That's right. And for what? The sleepless nights that they had over the last, I mean, think about the market the last 30 years, right? Right. So uh, that includes some bull markets too. So, all right. right. So I didn't trademark bank on yourself. It came from, uh, I'm I'm a part of a group called the bank on yourself professionals. Pamela Yellen uh, wrote the book called the bank on yourself revolution. We're part of a 200 plus financial professional uh, organization mastermind that spans the U S and Canada. And it's a concept called bank on yourself. And I want to Talk to loan officers here, obviously, and and think about banking just happens. Even if every bank shut down today, banking would continue at the you and me level forever. In fact, there's a great book out there, Luke. It's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. Great title, great book, but it's a really great title because it, it reveals the fact that banking will always exist. It's as fundamental to humanity as like friendship is, you know, it's just, it's old school. Banking is just going to happen. The question is, and banking, who's in the, and, and, yeah, and banking is, is, is kind of like, I would, I presume that probably going to talk a little bit about the, bar, you know, trading and bartering and things like that. Uh, um, that that's what you would consider banking charging interest. In past, yeah. Right? Charging interest and collecting on payments and yeah. Sure. Uh, borrower slave to the lender and all that good stuff. So um, the idea is, is really what is the concept of owing someone something and then owning something? Yeah. It goes clear back to caveman days for sure. sure. So who controls the banking function in your life? I'm contending here, and as a certified financial planner, it's a little weird for me to say it because generally we want you in those retail amateur investment products like stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And there's nothing wrong with those in your 401k through your job. But think about your life from a bigger picture. Again, thinking different. Um, Who's controlling the banking function in your life? I believe that who controls the banking function will decide and determine the success or failure of your financial life more so than how your mutual fund did last year. Because the typical life that someone lives is going to be buying your 10 cars, buying your five to seven houses, sending your two and a half kids to college, and so on and so on. And that all costs millions of dollars over your lifetime. And if you're paying cash for all that, or or worse, using debt to do it, um, high interest consumer debt to do it, that's that's going to devastate your financial future. My problem was I used cash for all my major purchases and I used cash even to pay off my debt. Why sure. not use banking to pay off my debt? Why not use my own bank to buy my cars, vacations, kids college, houses, real estate investing, crypto even. You know, why not be my own source of financing and use the same leverage tools that banks use? to find more freedom and control and capacity in my own financial life. If I sat behind my own banker's desk for my own life and made every purchase the way a banker would, borrowing from myself, paying myself back, I could actually benefit from, not lose, but actually benefit from all the cars, 
and stuff you got to buy either way, in either case, right? So that's the right. concept of bank on yourself. Now it's got to come down the ladder from that concept to real world. How do we actually do that? But that's the concept. Any feedback or thoughts there? Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say, man. Now you've piqued my interest. Uh, so, so what does that actually mean to to kind of you know in layman's terms, right? What does what does that actually look like in, in real in real life? Yeah, well, it as you can tell, it, it brings a certain sense of freedom to know that you're in control of your own financial life, but how do you actually do it? So bringing it down the ladder, a few rungs here, it has to go, money has to live somewhere. We've talked about that. So where could it go where it could be functioning like a bank uh, without having to set up an FDIC charter and tens of millions of bucks in the vault and all that good stuff, right? Well, as I was going through my CFP training, it struck me that among 450 financial vehicles I studied to get that certification, one in particular met all of what I was looking for. When I made that little wish list for myself, like guarantees and access to capital and tax-free access and you know all that, uh, of all things, Luke, strangely, dividend-paying whole life insurance met all those requirements for me. Mm-hmm. So before folks unsubscribe, let me just <laughs> quickly explain what I'm talking about here. So if it's designed the bank on yourself way, and I'm not talking about the Dave Ramsey whole life that he hates on. I agree. Right, he, right, he's right, correct right. on that type of whole life. Now, this type is categorically different and I've got it down to a TGIF. So I'll give you a TGIF here. Uh, all right. So the acronym is TGIF. T stands for tax-free access to money at any point. Whenever you want it, it's your cash uh, and it's yours. G stands for guarantees. You can build a guaranteed wealth inside the policy. It's a life insurance policy, right? And this policy has accessible cash value. That's the money you can spend. It's like home equity almost. You could think of it that way. It's money you can spend before you die, which is the more fun time to spend money in my opinion. Right, right. Uh, So instead of it just being death insurance, it's life insurance. So I have Mm -hmm. access to that in my life and I can spend it on cars, vacations, business investment, whatever I need. And it's accessible. Again, T is tax-free, but it also grows on a guaranteed schedule every single year, no matter what the stock market's doing, guaranteed by the contract that you've written up with the insurance company. And it's built on that and it's existed for now over 200 years. So that's number two is G guarantees. Third, it is insurance. So we can solve that need for our families and our charity and our business and whatever. It always leaves more than we put into the policy because it's life insurance. You put a dollar in, die tomorrow, you're going to leave $7 to the family or five or whatever your number is. And then finally, F is for financing. Now, again, I think your need, my need for financing is far greater than my need for insurance. Why do I say that? Because you know, we're, we're needing our cars bought. We need our kids to go through college. We need the business investment for the marketing blitz that we're going to do or the new real estate deal for our office or whatever else we might be using our, our money for. Our need to access capital is far greater than our probable need of life insurance for the family someday. So what if you could pla- um, pack money into this policy, this cash value life insurance policy, You can do it monthly, you can do it lump sums, you can fund it any way you wish. And you build up this liquid pool of contingency capital money that's yours to use any way you wish, and then tap that money as a loan, borrow against it, and then pay it back on your own schedule on your own terms. And what if you could actually have that money continue to compound, like collateralizing it, right? So you still have that money building and growing as if you hadn't borrowed the money out. That's exactly how this works. The policy is designed where when you access this money, let's say I want to buy a car for 30 grand. And let's say I've got 30 grand in my policy. So I borrow against my policy and go buy my car. 
my policy is still growing on the on the full 30,000 bucks as if I hadn't taken that loan out. And that changed everything. When I found that out, it changed everything with regard to how I understand money. Because the problem of most ways you buy stuff is it breaks compound growth. Sure. Save, 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 spend. Save, 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 spend. And it breaks that comp. There's that opportunity cost again that you mentioned, Luke. Sure. But when sure. I use my policy uh, as collateral for my policy loan, I'm driving my car around town. And yet my policy is, my policy is still compounding as if I never took the loan. And then you're paying that loan back, I presume. That's kind of how that works. If you you're wish, kind of paying, yeah. You're paying it, yourself back. That's right. Yeah. If you wish, the goal and the plan should be to repay that loan at some point. Why? Well, if you never pay off the loan, they'll let you do that. But if you never pay off the loan, they'll just deduct it from your death benefit when you pass away. So instead of leaving your family a million bucks, you know, it'd be a million minus the loan, you know, so they might get 970,000 bucks, I guess, income tax free when you pass away and a car, uh, right? At the end of the day. So they'll have to struggle along on that, I guess. But the idea is you're in control of repaying that loan. If you need to skip a few payments, whatever, they're not going to come repo your car. Nice. Nice. And so, so from that standpoint, is there penalty, anything like that for pulling money out or what does that look like? No, it's uh, totally your money. uh, Unlike many other, it's a lot like a HELOC. If folks are familiar with how HELOCs work, you know, you have uh, the access to that money up to the limits of your cash value, much like a HELOC will give you some portion of your loan to value, right? Uh, the policy will keep on growing even while you borrow against the policy, just like a house keeps growing, even when you use your HELOC. The differences are, one, the life insurance grows guaranteed. Don't know too many houses that grow guaranteed, Luke. Uh, right. See 2008, right? Um, also, banks can call a HELOC. They can reduce, freeze, or call a HELOC they cannot right. do that with this life insurance. It's guaranteed to you. You have a guarantee that that loan provision is is always available to you. It's baked right into the contract. Sure. Um, and I guess finally, you have no monthly or annual required loan repayments on a policy loan. There is interest payments due on HELOCs. So, you know, this is really the the closest thing I could find in the financial universe, a HELOC that does sort of what these uh, bank on yourself designed whole life policies allow us to do. Wow. And that's, it's, uh, you know, blowing, blowing minds probably all over the place. Um, Sorry, I, I I'll love grab it, them up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I mean, I love this topic. Um, I, I see, I see some other things here that, that are kind of interesting to me as well. Right. You talk and talk a little bit about, you know, the, the snowbank method to, uh, to, to kind of buy back your debt. And then, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about the crypto market, you know, how, how do you profit in a crypto market no matter what, man? I mean, those are some, yeah. some big topics I think that are that are huge that we can kind of hit on if, if you kind of have a few seconds to hit on those. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, let me start with the debt. So my own story, um, we had a big pile of debt, student loan debt, as mentioned, uh, and we plowed as much as we could into our policies. So we built several of these bank on yourself designed policies for my wife and I. We, f- we kept current on all of our student loan debts, but we flooded everything we could into our overly funded uh, cash value life insurance policies. Um, so let me just let me just back up one, one sec there. So instead of, you know, are you putting money away for savings before you're doing that? Or it's like, hey, you know what? We're just throwing money in here because technically you can access this at any time. Well, think about it. We were we were doing the Dave Ramsey thing. So we were doing the debt snowball method. Sure. Where you throw everything, you, you, you forego saving, you forego investing, you forego your own retirement, and you just laser focus on that debt. You pay it all off one after the other. That's the snowball mm-hmm. method. Sure. Instead, sure. what we decided and what we ended up trademarking is something called the Lake Growth Debt Snow Bank Method. In that instance, what you do is you keep current on all your debts. 
Step one, keep current on all your debts. Step two, flood a bunch of money into these whole life policies. Why? Because that's an asset that you can see compound for the rest of your life. Rather than just you know, bury that money in a hole by paying off your debts. Now you're building an asset that you can enjoy for the rest of your life. And so I want you to imagine my student loans were coming down. My policy and my cash was, uh, my cash and my policy was coming up. And at some point the policy equaled the student loan payment, the student loan balance. So I just borrowed against my policy and wiped out my student loans. But recall that the policy is still earning interest. Like I never took that loan out. It's growing even on the capital I borrowed to wipe out my student loans. In essence, Luke, I bought back my debt from Sally and her cronies. And so now the policy is still earning interest, all right, on the 70 or 80 or whatever grand that I used to borrow to pay off all that debt. We had started with the snowball method, got us down to about 70 grand. We stopped the snowball project and started doing our snow bank method. And thankfully, we'll have several hundred thousand dollars of additional wealth that we would not have otherwise had by retirement's time because we stopped that Dave Ramsey uh, project and started doing snow banking instead. We became our own banker. We bought back the debt from our cronies, uh, student loan cronies and paid off the loans to our policies on our own schedule. That's the, sne- the debt snow bank method. I'm surprised, I'm surprised Sally and her cronies didn't come break your knees or something. Man. That's right. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they haven't, they haven't come to repo my, uh, my degrees yet. Although uh, they were happy that they got their money as a large lump sum paid them off early yeah. too. So. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they like their money um, a little, a little bit more than the, you know, obviously the interest is nice, but Hey, they want that's right. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, as far as crypto, I want you to now shift gears from paying off your debt with this tool to thinking about how you might even invest with this tool. A sure. lot of our clients are real estate investors. Investors, but they okay. just as easy, and, and we have several dozen that are also into specifically crypto investing. Uh, so a lot of our real estate, crypto, any number of more speculative assets. Imagine with me that you've got a big pool of contingency cash, and let's say you find a great deal. Maybe it's a coin you found that you f- firmly believe in. Maybe it's a rental property, but you found a great deal. You could simply borrow against the policy, invest in that deal, whatever it is, and then watch what happens next. The policy will continue to grow irregardless of the underlying investment. If your crypto coin takes off, awesome. You've got the modest returns of the whole life policy, four, five, 6%, and you've got the whatever, 50% on your crypto. Let's take the other example. Let's say you crash your crypto. Sure. That doesn't feel too good. Which is Nobody's fairly says, likely. Fairly likely. Yeah, exactly, man. It's not going to be a fun day for you, but you can take solace in the fact that you still have that compounding asset the whole life policy to help you keep from your retirement blowing up in your face, right? So it's a third, there's always three sides to every coin as as they say, there's heads, there's tails, and then the edge, there's three sides to every coin. So if you play that edge, meaning if you use your policy to invest, you can win or win, but there is no lose in essence, right? You can still certainly lose money on your investment, but at least you've got the underlying whole life policy returning some interest and dividends for you as well. Awesome, awesome, man, man. There's a, a lot of uh, a lot of good and, and interesting concepts that uh, you know that, that we're kind of covering here. Um, I want to I want to make sure we honor your time. Um, I know we're kind of coming up to the top of the hour here, but uh, so let's kind of like shift gears a little bit um, into uh, some of your kind of not your average financial questions, right? Let's let's talk a little bit about like what would you do or how would you create the perfect financial strategy for life. And, and what would that look like? Yeah. Well, again, I think that's some of where we, we discuss the, the attributes of money. Think about a 401k. Most people get that 401k and feel like they're finally an adult. Well, I certainly 
my wife and I, when she had her, her career, she, she had a 401k given to her. I was a entrepreneur. So 401ks weren't exactly falling out of the sky when you start your business. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But, and mo- most people are proud that they put money into a 401k, but I'd like to push back on that a little bit because when I sit down and chat with folks, I say, well, what do you believe about taxes? Are they going to be lower or higher over your lifetime? And to a person, man, uh, you tell me, Luke, but I, I, I have not heard anyone say anything except up. Yeah, up, up. Taxes are going up. And then I say, well, do you understand the, I say, what's your understanding of how the 401k will be taxed in the future? And they say, well, I, I believe they're going to tax me on the money I take out. And I ask them, I say, well, are you okay with that? You know, do you, if you believe that taxes are going to be even 1% higher in the future, why are you deferring? What's important about deferring your taxes to that date when taxes will likely be higher? Isn't that theft? (laughs) By any other phrase, that would be a form of theft. You know, it's sort of like, I love ice cream. I want a six pack. I sometimes act against my beliefs, right? Um, Right. I sometimes do things counter to what I truly believe by gobbling down some awesome ice cream and ruining my chances at that, uh, you know, six pack on the beach. So I'd say the first thing you can do is just figure out and talk to an, uh, an advisor that's on your side of the table, willing to ask these questions, willing to think a little bit outside the box, um, because otherwise you're just going to be handed that 401k, that brokerage account, or that rental property. And it you may or may not be in your best interest. So, so, um, and I've had conversations with people in the past, and, and a lot of times people talk about having uh, some of each of those, right? Having some that's deferred and having some that you pay right away, and, and that'll offset whatever you know, whatever potential tax implications. You know, if it is if it is cheaper in the future, then great, you get to take advantage of that. But if it, if it's more expensive in the future, then you've also you know you know accrued a bunch of money that you can pull out. Is that is that sort of uh, the plan that you're talking about, or, or what what does that look like? Well, I'm, I have no problem with folks putting in up to the match. Typically, that's three to five percent of your money, at least right. get that company match. Uh, right, because right. That's a, free money. Yeah. 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 Well, w- let's, you know, I always jokingly say there's no such thing as free money, no such not. thing as free lunch, except the cheese on the wrong end of a mousetrap. So what is it that causes them to give us that match? Well, wouldn't you know, the executives are able to pump in hundreds of thousands of dollars a year when they give the peons, uh, the rest of us, right? Uh, the three to 5% company match. Uh, so, Here's, here's the thing. There is a perfect amount you should have in a tax-deferred vehicle, and it's the amount by which you could take money out and stay under the tax deduction, standard tax deduction limits. Okay. So for most people, that's not going to be more than a couple hundred grand at the most in your 401k. Everything else should be outside of that system because it's, it's essentially going to be a tax torpedo in your retirement. So right. as long as your 401ks are modest size, you know, and I have no problem with, with our clients doing whatever they want with their own money. I mean, it's their choice at the end of the day. But sure. mathematically speaking, if you can keep that money pretty low in that 401k, you won't trigger taxable income as long as you're under the tax standard tax deduction in retirement. That's a little complex, Luke, but I'm glad you're asking the question. Thinking critically about that's really important. Yeah, man. Just, you know, just, I know I've you know, had conversations in the past. I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means, but I just know that there, there's some different strategies out there that that help uh, kind of mitigate against some of that risk of, you know, tax in the future and, and, and now and all that kind of stuff. So, and it, and it all, and I'll just may say, I'll just say this very briefly. You also want to think about what do you think is going to happen in the future? I mean, is it possible that the government might change their rules on the standard deduction or on the sure. tax rates or the 
tax deferral nature of 401ks. That was even brought up in the last election. Um, it's sort of like, Luke, let's say you and I go trick-or-treating and we get you know, uh, punched in the shoulder by a couple of bullies and they say, hey, you know, when you get back from trick-or-treating, we're going to take some of that candy from you. And we're like, whoa, okay, well, sure. Okay, sounds good. But hey, wait a minute. How much do you plan to take? How much of our bag of candy do you plan to take, bullies? And they look at each other and they're like, well, you know, we'll vote on it when you get back. That's what's going on with your 401k. They haven't exactly voted on how much of that 401k they own yet, literally. All right. So I'm off again. There's the soapbox. It's sitting over there. I'm off of it. So, so just, just to be clear, taxation is theft, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, but, no, right. but seriously. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, real quick, uh, what, what would you say? And just kind of uh, like, what would you say is kind of like the biggest tip? I like to kind of end with what's a big uh, one tip or one thing that loan officers can go out there and do to, you know, build their wealth to, you know, what, what is kind of your number one thing that you would have a loan officer go out and do right now to, to kind of grow that wealth you're talking about. Yeah. In a practical sense, literally, this is free. Like I said earlier, grab that legal pad and write down 10 things you want your money doing for you. Don't write down the names of parking spaces for your money, checking accounts, savings account. Don't put that down. Write down functions. And again, everything we described in this episode describes that bank on yourself designed whole life policy. And if your list of characteristics matched mine, access to capital, tax-free nature, guarantees on the return, guarantees on the principal, hidden from um, financial aid offices for my kid's college, but visible when I need to get a loan for my own house. I use my policy to buy my house, okay? My down payment for my house. So I want all of those things. I want it protected from lawsuits and creditors and predators and all that. Because if you're a business owner, it's just a matter of when, not if. Hopefully that never happens, but life insurance in many states is protected from lawsuits and and bankruptcies and all that. So start with the function before you get to labels. I'd rather have Tiger Woods golf swing and forget about his clubs. Let me have his swing. If I've got the strategy, the product will take care of itself. Okay. So uh, just again, thinking about what you want is going to be key here. And that's a practical thing you can do with a sheet of paper and a pen. Man, I love that. That's uh, that's huge. And, and again, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I think that's that works for every part of your your life, right? Like, just you mm-hmm. you want to be clear on what you exactly you want, and then go out and build the life you want. So, I think it works the same with financial uh, planning for your for your retirement, things like that. Um, we didn't get into retirement and stuff like that, which which you know is, could be a whole other topic as well. But uh, where is yeah. uh, like if someone wanted to go out, reach out to you, uh, what's the best place for for loan officers or anybody who's listening to the show to go find? Uh, some more information about you. Well, we've got a special report. You can go to bit.ly slash boy real estate. That's bank on yourself, B-O-Y. So it's bit.ly slash boy real estate. And you can okay. get to know me and my team. If you want to hear more, we've got over 200 episodes on this and other topics uh, similar to bank on yourself. Uh, so if you want to build real wealth for your retirement and for your business and your family along the way, and you don't want to do it with a bunch of unnecessary risks and things that tie up your money for decades, go check out our podcast. It's Not Your Average Financial Podcast. And you can find us at notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Awesome, man. Thank you so much uh, for everything. We'll make sure to have those linked in the show notes. So um, you don't have to remember exactly what he said. Just go down to the show notes and uh, click the links and you'll get taken directly to those those things, right? And so uh, just kind of Closing thoughts for me. I think the biggest thing that I kind of pulled out of this, and just kind of going back to your, um, you know, your your plan that you just said is is just get very clear on what you want, 
and then go out and find the vehicles that are going to get you the, the, the goals that you want, right? I think so many times we get so stuck in uh, uh, building things and, and, and making plans that are not really our own plans because we never sat down and got clear about them. We're listening to Dave Ramsey's or the Grant Cardone's or whoever we listen to for, for our advice. Uh, and we just think that that's gospel. And at the end of the day, you know, every single person is different. They have their own goals, their own dreams, their own, uh, you know, retirement plans. And so, you know, if you don't get clear on that, you're never going to get, you know, you're never going to get achieve the goals you want because you never got clear on them. So thank you so much, Mark, for being here. And thank you to everybody who's listening. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. The Loans On Demand podcast.